Welcome back to The Curious Clinicians, a medical podcast that asks why. I'm Tony Brew, and I am joined by my co-hosts, Hannah Abrams and Avi Cooper. Hannah, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys? I'm doing great. I'm doing great as well. What Avi wants to discuss tonight uh, was incepted in his brain many years ago when he was sitting uh, at Morning Report at VA. One of the chief residents was presenting a case and apparently related to elevated serum triglycerides or hypertriglyceridemia and how that can cause acute pancreatitis. So Avi, what was the chief resident doing that made you want to ask this question so many years later? For whatever reason, because I definitely don't remember every morning report that I've been in, but I do distinctly remember sitting in that conference room, listening first thing in the morning to a case presentation of a patient who presented with severe pancreatitis, which had been caused by extraordinarily high serum triglycerides, like in the thousands, several, like you know, a couple thousands probably. And the focus of the conference, it was really more on therapies to bring the serum triglyceride levels down and things like insulin infusions and apheresis. And I remember sort of being amazed at all of that, but I was honestly just as interested in like what the heck might link these two things high triglyceride levels in the blood and pancreatitis, it wasn't really obvious to me like why one would lead to the other. And so um, that question really stuck with me. Yeah, it does make sense. It's one of those things that I think we kind of take for granted. Like the other causes of pancreatitis, I feel like there's more of a clear mechanism, like gallstone pancreatitis. Obviously, you like have a gallstone obstructing pancreatic secretion. Autoimmune pancreatitis, the their lit- immune system is literally attacking the pancreas. Alcohol, we think is probably kind of like a direct toxin. Scorpion bites, it turns out, are just actually like mediate a cytokine release, IL-1, and then that- Uh, nitric oxide release. That sounds terrifying. Look this up for this episode. But like triglycerides, I've kind of heard some hand wavy explanations. I'm not really sure. When did we even identify that they cause pancreatitis? So the first association between pancreatitis and elevated lipids, so not necessarily triglycerides, but just high lipid levels in the blood, was proposed way back in 1865. But the specific association with triglycerides was actually only proposed in 1975. And the study that looked at that was published in the journal Surgery. Now, given how long ago the study was conducted, we don't have access to the full protocol. The, the way that the study was designed, it could raise some ethical questions, but what the group that was studying this was actually, they were trying to find out the cause of alcohol-related pancreatitis. Actually, they weren't specifically um, initially looking at triglycerides. They were actually looking at alcohol-related pancreatitis. And because heavy alcohol consumption is known to increase serum triglycerides, they theorized that triglycerides are actually would mediate alcohol-related pancreatitis. So they recruited 12 patients who had a history of alcohol-related pancreatitis, and they fed them a diet that was super high in lipids to see if they got clinical pancreatitis. And 11 of these 12 patients developed triglyceride levels above 600 milligrams per deciliter, and seven of them got pancreatitis. So it seemed like the high triglyceride levels had indeed induced pancreatitis. So this study suggested if you raise someone's serum triglycerides they appear to to get pancreatitis, or in this case, they did. And as you said, that seems to be not just correlative, but maybe even causal, at least in some capacity. So the question then becomes like, how what's going on? H- how is that happening? And actually, maybe even before that, like I, maybe it might be worth talking about like how common it is. Yeah, exactly. It accounts for up to a third of all cases of pancreatitis. So it's 
pretty common and it's you know really not an insignificant amount. And interestingly, there actually seems to be a dose response relationship based on a prospective cohort study from 2012 in the journal Pancreatology. And the higher the level of serum triglycerides, they found the higher the risk of pancreatitis. Now, the classic threshold we all learn about is an increased risk beginning at around a triglyceride level of 500 milligrams per deciliter, but the risk increases significantly above 1,000 milligrams per deciliter. That is really interesting and something I think we don't think about that often. Can I ask you guys, what are the highest triglyceride numbers that you have seen in a patient? For me, it's probably low thousands. I haven't seen someone with you know above seven, eight thousand, but I've certainly seen a number of patients in the sort of two, three thousand range. Yeah, it'd be the same for me, sort of low thousands. Yeah, I've I've even heard about cases above ten thousand, but have not seen that myself. But it's just interesting that like our cutoff is a thousand, but I, I, people can get twofold to that without necessarily knowing if there's like a, a dose response relationship at that upper end too. But maybe going back a second from that exact relationship, we should maybe start by talking about what triglycerides are and what they're made up of. Yeah, so triglycerides are a type of lipid, and they're composed of fatty acids and glycerol. So they get absorbed from the food we eat by the small intestine, and then they're packaged and transported in the blood inside a type of lipoprotein called chylomicrons. These triglycerides inside the chylomicrons then get hydrolyzed and broken down to free fatty acids and glycerol by an enzyme called lipoprotein lipase. And lipoprotein lipase hangs out on the endothelium near muscles and adipose tissue and does this hydrolysis. And it does it where free fatty acids can be stored or used for cellular fuel, again, places like muscles and adipose tissue. So we've alluded to this idea of a potential dose-response relationship between serum triglyceride, triglyceride levels in the blood and the risk of pancreatitis. And that seems to imply that the triglycerides are themselves the toxic molecule for the pancreas. But is it actually the triglycerides or is it is it something else that is actually the quote-unquote toxin here? I totally, I mean, I totally agree. You know, when I first started learning about this topic, that's exactly what I assumed as well. Sitting in that conference room at the VA during morning report, I just assumed it was that the triglycerides themselves are harmful to the pancreas. And that, you know, they're the problem. They must be what's injuring the pancreas. But it turns out triglycerides themselves, they don't seem to be the problem. Or at least I didn't come across any data suggesting that they themselves are toxic to the pancreas. But there's evidence that free fatty acids, which, like we said, get released when triglycerides are hydrolyzed and broken down, that they themselves are capable of inducing pancreatic injury. This was suggested by three really interesting animal studies. The first was from 1991 in the Journal of Surgical Research, where pigs were administered a high concentration of oleic acid, which is a type of free fatty acid, and it was given directly into their pancreatic arteries, so about as close as you can get to the pancreas. So they just blasted these pancreases with free fatty acid, and some pigs also got control injections. And the researchers found that the pigs who got the free fatty acid injections reliably developed pancreatitis when compared to the controls. So that's pretty convincing that free fatty acids themselves can harm the pancreas. The second was a study from 2009 from Acta Physiologica, which was a physiology journal published out of Oxford. And they studied mouse pancreases. Or is it pancreai? I don't know <laughs> what the right term is. But either way, they took mouse pancreatic acinar cells, which, as you'll recall, produce digestive enzymes for the pancreas's exocrine function, 
and exposed them to increasing concentrations of oleic acid, that same free fatty acid used in the 1991 pig study. And the researchers found that there was a dose-dependent damage to the cells, with higher free fatty acid concentrations leading to more damage and more release of amylase and lipase. And the third study sort of confirmed the findings that I've reviewed here in a sort of a roundabout way. And it was published in the Science Translational Medicine in 2011, where the researchers took mice and they induced pancreatitis with inflammatory cytokines. They then gave the mice the lipase inhibitor Orlistat, which is a drug that's used to treat obesity. And as a lipase inhibitor, Orlistat reduces triglyceride hydrolysis and free fatty acid production. And they found that Orlistat actually reduced pancreatic injury, again, supporting the role that free fatty acids seem to have in the ability to injure the pancreas. That's awesome. Together, they're they're kind of this beautifully elegant set of experiments. So to summarize, Avi, making sure that I got this, they started with figuring out, do free fatty acids actually cause pancreatitis? And they did that in pigs pretty directly and pretty compellingly show that free fatty acids induce pancreatitis. Then they asked where in the pancreas, which part of the pancreas is actually causing this. And they found that it's the acini, which produce these digestive enzymes. And then lastly, they said, if we, if we give triglycerides, but not free fatty acids or prevent free fatty acids, do you still get the clinical syndrome? And you don't with Orlistat. So altogether, that suggests that free fatty acids caught specifically acting on the acini and causing release of uh, amylase and lipase are part of something here. But what is, what's kind of the mechanism of damage? Because like, doesn't everything cause release of so you know there are probably two main mechanisms and you know and but there there are several other contributors as well but the main proposed mechanism sort of blew my mind and that's trypsin activation um the other one that we'll talk about is membrane lipid peroxidation which is cool too no offense to membrane lipid peroxidation but the trypsin activation piece really is cool so to tackle this first one it turns out that free fatty acids can actually activate trypsinogen to become trypsin. And this was demonstrated in a 1997 study in the journal Gastroenterology. And so the researchers looked at rat pancreases, and they found that infusing fatty acid ethyl esters, which are sort of a form of free fatty acids, when if they gave them to rats, this led to pancreatitis. And when they looked at the rats, uh, when they looked at the, the pancreases from the rats, they found that the fatty acids had actually activated trypsinogen to trypsin, which is really good at digesting and breaking down protein. And then the trypsin was able to auto-digest the pancreas, set off a cascade of badness that then you know propagated the initial injury. So I don't know why fatty acids would activate this enzyme, but trypsin activation from trypsinogen seems to be a main mechanism of how free fatty acids could injure the pancreas. Isn't that crazy? I think it is because first of all, the idea, I've always been just totally flummoxed by this idea of auto-digestion of the pancreas. But the idea that the free fatty acids would be the thing that is leading to the conversion of trypsinogen to trypsin and then sort of fuel adding fuel to the fire is, I, I find that fascinating. Yeah, it kind of also makes sense that there's like a threshold effect, it seems like. Right, exactly. That would sort of, it resonates with the idea of a, of a dose response, exactly. And so, but then to go back to the other, so we don't forget about lipid peroxidation. Um, so free fatty acids are also able to induce um, membrane lipid peroxidation in pancreatic cells. And this essentially involves forming free radicals and stealing electrons from the membrane lipids in the pancreas. This then leads to oxidative degradation of those lipids, membrane damage, and then necrosis and cell death. And again, all of that is not good for the health of the pancreas. 
So I, I'm not going to argue that uh, trypsin activation and uh, membrane lipid peroxidation aren't enough, but you did uh, sort of allude to other ways that uh, hypertriglyceridemia might induce pancreatitis. So are any of those worth us hearing about? Of course. And I guess it's sort of maybe surprising that we've gotten this far into an episode about pancreatitis and haven't really talked about inflammation much. Um, but you know, it seems like inflammation is certainly involved as well. And you know, obviously, there's an inflammatory response um, to the initial damage from free fatty acid toxicity, right? With these cells dying, and then you know, and that occurs in the pancreas. That probably helps push things over the edge into full-blown pancreatitis. You know, you get things like cellular dam, you know, cellular damage. And death causes the release of cytokines, chemokines, damage-associated molecular patterns or damps. All of that leads to neutrophil and macrophage activation, more cell death, more damage to the pancreas, and then there's sort of this vicious cycle toward acute pancreatitis. So we've sort of acknowledged inflammation as well. And there are actually several other theorized explanations too. And one is hyperviscosity from the sort of chylomicronemia. Um, that if you know if the triglyceride level in the blood is really high, then you have like all these chylomicrons floating around, and that's sort of the thought is that it gums up the pancreatic capillaries and causes obstruction, which leads to ischemia. There are also theories about the endoplasmic reticulum and stress um, in the you know in that cellular component that leads to mitochondrial dysfunction. There may be a genetic predisposition as well. So there's really no clear sort of single explanation, but it seems like several factors culminate in pancreatitis. But again, amazingly, other than those chylomicrons gumming up the pancreatic capillaries, the triglycerides themselves, they don't seem to be the problem. And again, that was really surprising to me as I was learning about this. Hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. I learned about the like hyperviscosity thing, but it never made sense to me that other hyperviscosity syndromes like from leukemia or from like cryoglobulins or something wouldn't cause the same thing. So this like really kind of makes sense to me in a way that that it had not before. But I think the the first thing that I taught as you were taught at VA Morning Report is insulin. So why do we give insulin? Like how is the insulin working? Yeah, I mean, so the the most straightforward answer is that insulin is really effective at decreasing triglyceride levels in the blood. So yay, insulin, it can do that. And it does that by increasing the synthesis of lipoprotein lipase, which hydrolyzes all the triglycerides. Um, but there's an interesting wrinkle that ties in with the mechanisms we've been talking about, and that's specifically around how free fatty acids are toxic to the pancreas. So it turns out that insulin also inhibits lipolysis from fat, reducing the production of free fatty acids that would have come directly from fat cells. So again, I'm not sure how much of an impact that component of insulin's mechanism of action has, but again, I thought this was a really sort of nice way to link things together. It's interesting because you mentioned earlier the idea that Orlistat sort of seemed to help. I've never seen Orlistat given in this setting. I've seen uh, insulin, I've seen heparin, but I haven't seen Orlistat. <laughs> I don't know if you came across anything. No, you know, I saw some sort of rumblings of people, you know, wonder if this is something that could be used to treat pancreatitis. But then, yeah, I haven't sort of seen a lot of robust clinical data, but you sort of, it makes it makes an argument that, that maybe somebody should study this. Our curious clinicians, clinical trials collaborative. <laughs> no, wait, do we have one? We should. <laughs> There's a Google uh, Doc. There's a Google Doc. There's yeah, yeah. I, I um, I feel like it would give people horrible diarrhea while they're like already in pancreatitis, <laughs> like your quality of life. But I think this is like such a fun episode that really questions a lot of things that I 
I had sort of taken for granted before. So thank you, Avi. Yeah, and, and um, I before we start talking about writing up IRBs, Avi, how about you give us some take-home points? Yes, of course, Tony. So triglycerides do not themselves cause pancreatitis, um, but hypertriglyceridemia does induce pancreatitis via multiple mechanisms. And these include increased free fatty acids, which convert trypsinogen to trypsin, leading to autodigestion and pancreatic inflammation. Free fatty acids also induce membrane peroxidation and pancreatic acinar necrosis, and other contributors include pancreatic capillary hyperviscosity and sludging from chylomicronemia and possible endoplasmic reticulum stress and mitochondrial dysfunction. Fantastic. So that wraps up another episode of The Curious Clinicians. Thanks, as always, for joining us. As a reminder, you can join our mailing list at CuriousClinicians.com to stay up to date on episode releases and have detailed notes delivered directly to your inbox. We continue to partner with VCU Health to offer CME and MOC credits for physicians and other healthcare professionals just for listening to this episode. For more information, visit ce.vcuhealth.org slash curiousclinicians. And as always, the information contained in this episode is for educational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Until next time, we've been the Curious Clinicians. Curious Clinicians.